Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord together? It's awesome to be here. Um, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We've been uh, looking at 1 Peter for the last number of Sundays. And uh, this morning we're looking at chapter 1, verse 13, to, well, to chapter 2, verse uh, 12. But we're going to skip some of chapter 2. Anyways, uh, I'd like to just read some of this. So um, let's prepare for the reading of God's word. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you do not know, for you know that it was with, not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed at this, at, in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your hope, faith and hope is now in God. Now you have been purified, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave spiritual milk so that by it you might grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then verse 11 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day he visits us. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You know, um, most people, when they're growing up, they have this thing called a growth spurt. And normally it happens in your young teen years. But it happened to my sister when she was nine years old. And by the time she was in grade six, she was six feet tall. She was the tallest person in her elementary school. Uh, that includes all the teachers as well. She was taller than everybody. And it was a little bit rough for her. She did not like sticking out like a sore thumb, literally. <laughs> she did not like it. But there was one payoff, one big payoff, and that was on track and field day. Because she was taller and bigger than everybody. 
uh, she excelled at the sports and she could run faster, jump further, and particularly she could jump higher than any elementary kid ever. I mean, she was incredible. We used to go to this place called Bearbrook Creek Park for the, uh, the Fraser Valley's Christian School uh, Athletic Day. And she would go, and she would always come home with first place in the high jump. I mean, what elementary kid can jump almost five feet high? It's about this high she was jumping over. Uh, I mean, one day after while she was practicing at school, she said, Hey, Bill, come, come and try this. And I'm like, No, no, I don't want to try that. And she's got the bar up like this high, and she's jumping over it, you know. And... Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not going to try it. She says, oh, I'll lower the bar for you. You know, really hum- really motivating, right? Like, my, my sister is going to lower the bar so her little brother can jump over it. Oh, thanks very much. So she finally convinces me. I try, fail miserably. Everybody laughs at me. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. Uh, I mean, jumping five feet is one thing. But, you know, in 1912, during the Olympics... Some guy jumped six foot six. That's like over my head. Can you imagine jumping six foot six and a half inches high? That's exactly two meters. He jumped uh, at the Olympics in, in 1912. And you know what? When people uh, start practicing for the high jump, they set the bar really high for themselves. And a lot of people decide, hey, I want to beat the record. And you know what? Some people did. They jumped higher than six feet. And they jumped higher and higher. Where did my tape measure go? Can you throw me that, Kendall? Thank you. And so here's, here's, let me show you what my sister could jump. Five feet. I think it was five. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it was a little lower. But anyways, she could jump pretty high. (laughs) Uh, The record was six foot six and three quarters, exactly two meters. That's pretty high. But the record started going higher and higher and higher and higher. And some dude jumped that high unassisted uh, in the late, in the early 90s. Can you imagine jumping that high? Just no, this is not pole vaulting, folks. This is the real deal. This, this guy, um, what was his name? Uh, Javier Sodomento. Uh, he jumped eight feet high. <laughs> it's crazy. Now, can you imagine if you were getting into the sport today and you're thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the record. I'm like, uh, sure you are. Is that eight feet? Yeah, I can just barely reach eight feet. So I know that that's eight feet. First time I, I walked up to a wall and my, I'm a carpenter that had hired me to do some construction with him. And, and he said, put this, this string on the wall. And I walked up to the wall and put it on. And he went, you don't need a stepladder? I'm like, no, I'm tall. But you know what? That's a, that's a pretty lofty goal. And, and today, I don't think people getting in the sport of high jumping are even considering it. Like, that goal is now, now 25 years old. And it still has never been broken. And no, almost 30 years old. You know, I had a dream one time that I was going to break a world record. And it was unicycling, the tallest unicycle in the world. And so uh, the world record was 21 feet, which is about the, the height of the center of this peak of roof here. 
That's about, uh, that's, I think it's 20 feet from you guys. So he's just a little bit higher than that. 21 feet, world record. I'm like, hey, my friend and I were like, hey, we can beat this. You know, so we start building unicycles. The first one we built was six feet tall. Then it went to nine feet. Then it was 11 feet tall. This is, let me show you how tall that is. We were getting close to the world record. Let's see now, where's 11 feet? There's 11 feet. And then we built the unicycle to beat all the unicycles. I'm not sure how to, oh, I won't go that high. No, that's still not as high as it was. <laughs> okay, there. Did you see how high that was? <laughs> we got on the front page of our local newspaper riding this thing like idiots in the Safeway supermarket. 15 feet tall. That was amazing. It was terrifying, I'm telling you. And we, we were riding these things, and then tragedy struck. No, we didn't fall off it. The... So that's a 15-footer right there. <laughs> we built these things in my garage, my dad's garage with his welder, and we, we had to rig up special gearing and, and chain tighteners to keep the, the frame from bending because it would bend when you tighten the chain, and you needed a tight chain to ride. Anyways, long story. Anyways, the tragedy was that instead of 21 feet, some dude built a 29-footer and rode it. And then a few months later, somebody built a 32-foot one. And then a year later, somebody built a 55-foot high one. You see, when you set the bar too high, you know what the response usually is? Oh, forget it. I can't do that. That's not going to happen. Peter says, be holy. That God says, actually, be holy because I am holy. What happens in us? We just go... Oh, that's impossible. I can't be holy like God. I mean, I can be as holy as, you know, my wife. Well, not really. But I can at least try to be as holy as her. But God? No. (laughs) Come on. You know, like, how am I going to ever measure up to some being that is absolutely perfect, who is absolute purity? His holiness extends forever. He's completely separated from everything. That's not possible. And we, and you know what? Christians give up being, trying to obey this verse because we have all understood it to be impossible. So why is it there in the Bible if it's impossible? Why is Peter set the bar so high that we all just go, oh, forget it. I, I can't measure up. And it's not just verse 16. It's in the verse before. He repeats it twice. The verse before it says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. This is a command. This is not just an, an, an optional thing. Holy like God? God never sins. God is fundamentally holy. Impossibly holy. Yep, holy like that. That's what we're called to be. And honestly, for most of us, it's like trying to jump eight feet tall. It's just too hard. Countless believers have given up in this battle for holiness simply because they have somewhere been taught that humans cannot be perfect, humans cannot be sinless, humans cannot obtain holiness. 
But that's a lie. The Bible commands us to be holy and calls us to be holy. And so many Christians give up that battle before they even try. You know, we hear this all the time. Well, just do the best you can. Just do your best. I mean, what more can you do? I mean, to err is human, right? And nobody's perfect, right? (laughs) Well, the Bible says, actually, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's from Matthew. So you got both Peter, and next slide, and Matthew saying almost the exact same thing. That we're supposed to be perfect like God is perfect. We're supposed to be holy like God is holy. Hmm, not fair. These apostles ganging up on us, I think. They're using God as the example of perfection and holiness and then calling us to live up to that. <laughs> it's uh, unbelievable. But guess what? It's real and God, God's very purpose for coming to earth as Jesus Christ was so that you could be holy. Now, a lot of times we think, oh, God's purpose for sending Jesus was so that we could get to heaven. Yes, but that's not the main purpose. The main purpose was so that you could be holy. And because you're holy, you can have entrance into heaven. The focus is on our holiness. And now this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is genuine, real, lived-out holiness that we're talking here. Yes, it is imputed holiness, but it is also practical holiness that we're talking about. Uh, Jesus endured this, the cross, for us to be holy. That was his purpose. So I'm not exactly sure what you think of when you think of holiness. Uh, Most of us would probably consider uh, being morally pure as the sort of the baseline for holiness and for sure that's a big part of holiness but holiness is even bigger than that and the bible describes holiness as something as being set apart for reverent reverence basically and god is set apart see god is unique in the whole universe there's nothing like god no one like god god is the creator everything else in the universe is created there are powerful things in the universe. Take the sun. Uh, take uh, storms, thunder, and lightning. There's powerful things in this universe, but there's nothing as powerful as the creator of the universe. God is incredibly powerful. Um, the idea that God is fundamentally apart. God is, is kind of different on a grand scale. I mean, we see the Grand Canyon, and we go, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah, but God just made that. The little extra water he spilled off the flood, maybe. Dug that out. No big deal for God. God is grand on an enormous scale. And, you know, Moses asked God, well, what's your name? And God responds, he doesn't say Yahweh. He says, I am that I am. Well, that's the weirdest response ever. It's like, I am. I can't be described. I can't can't dumb down who I am into human language except to say, I exist, and that's it. You know, I am who I am. (laughs) Moses is kind of dumbfounded, and it kind of shows us that God is something completely outside of our realm. He's transcendent, absolutely transcendent, and completely unique. 
And that's really what holiness means. It means set apart, unique, different. Normally, it refers to spiritual matters or set apart for spiritual matters. But God in his whole being is holy. Now, in order to think about God's holiness, it's good to compare it to the sun. Uh, the sun is quite unique uh, in, in, our uni- in our solar system, at least. It's powerful. Um, it's uh, the source of life uh, on this planet. You can say that the sun is, is holy in, in that regard because it's completely different. It's not like the Earth or Pluto or Mars or Venus. It's completely different. It's set apart. And it's a, a sort of source of light, heat, uh, energy, power that sustains life on Earth. And so its holiness is very beneficial to us, right? But it's also very dangerous, okay? I mean, if you get too close to the sun, it'll annihilate you. <laughs> you don't go fly into the sun. Don't take a spaceship on a tour of the sun. It's just going to burn you up. Uh, in the same way, there's a paradoxical reaction to God. When we get too close to the God's holiness, we get destroyed. It's the same way. Because we are impure, but in His presence is his presence is actually dangerous to our health because we're impure. It's not because God is bad, but it's because God is so good that his goodness burns up all impurity. And guess what? We have impure thoughts. We have impure actions. We are physical and impure. So when Moses approaches God at the burning bush and God says to him, hey Moses, take off your sandals because the very ground you're standing on, it's holy. What made the ground holy? God's presence had shown up. And God calls to Moses out of the burning bush. And he says, Moses, and Moses is going over and check this out, right? And God says, oh, don't come any closer. Don't come any closer because you don't want to get close to God and get burned up by his goodness. And Moses covers his face, the Bible says, in fear. He was afraid because Moses knew the rules. That God was extremely holy, extremely transcendent, and he would not tolerate mankind. To see the face of God was death. The intensity of God's holiness is further explored when you start to see the the Shekinah glory coming down on the tabernacle in the wilderness. I mean, it freaked the people out. (laughs) I mean, here's this burning cloud or the burning pillar of fire at night and then day a thick darkness of cloud. And this was God's presence. And the people were terrified. Um, And... When the, when the temple was de- dedicated, same, the Shekinah glory came down on the temple and filled it. And uh, it, was, it was incredibly beautiful in the temple. But there was a part of the temple that had the, the glory of God reserved for that part. And that was the Holy of Holies. The most holy place it was called. And you know, the priests would go into the temple part daily and do the sacrifices beautiful inside but only the priests saw the inside of the temple the the general public had to stay outside because god was too holy for them and the priests would have to purify themselves take a bath before they would go into the temple and they they were in awe of it and then once a year 
once a year, the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. But the Bible says, but not without blood. He had to come in with blood. If he didn't take blood in there, he would be killed because he was entering into the Holy of Holies. And so um, there was this, this fear. And, and sometimes people did what was wrong. Okay, And Korah, when he was rebelling with his 250 followers, they got close to the temple, and God opened up the ground, and boom, 250 people fell into the ground, and the ground covered back up over them. Ugh. The people were like, whoa, God is holy. And then Aaron's son, these were high priests anointed by God, anointed by, by Aaron, washed by, in the temple, and they were bringing a different kind of incense before God. And God says, that's not the incense I propose, or, or I prescribed. And, he's, and the fire came out from God and burned up the priests. And Aaron was told, don't you weep for your son's death. They disobeyed God, and that's it. And Aaron is like freaking out, I imagine. Can you imagine? Your sons are killed by the fire of God, and you're not allowed to mourn? Whoa, God's holiness. So, there was a problem. You got the sinful people of Israel, and you got this holy, holy God that you don't want to be near because His holiness will burn you up. It's dangerous. And so, uh, the Bible describes in the book of Leviticus how you can become ritually pure so that you could actually go into the temple courts and worship God there. And there was many things that you had to do, including abstinence from certain things and, and washings and coming and being sprinkled by the blood of lambs as they sacrificed, all these different things. Because, you see, there was not only the purity of your heart and your, your actions and, and not being immoral, but there was also this thing that made you ritually impure. Okay, so like if you touched a dead body, you'd be ritually impure. Or if you touched uh, the skin of, uh, of the diseased skin, you'd be ritually impure. Or if you had bodily emissions and you touched them, those things made you impure. And uh, during a woman's period, she wasn't allowed in the temple courts. And uh, so these things made you impure. And you had to go through purification rituals in order to be purified and made holy in God's sight. And so these things reminded the people of the sin, that they were sinful and God was holy. And so um, this... This stays consistent throughout the whole Bible. God is holy. People are sinful. There's this division. They're always separated. But a change starts to happen in Isaiah. See, Isaiah sees this amazing vision in the year Uzziah died. He sees the Lord lifted high. And his train filled the temple with glory. And there were seraphs flying around with six wings. You know, two, two wings they were flying, two they were covering their faces, and two they were covering their feet. Very strange beings. But they're flying around and they're calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine these beings floating around this glorious picture of God? And Isaiah is just going, Oh, woe 
is me. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. He's absolutely terrified that God is going to kill him because he recognizes he's not holy like like God is holy, and all these seraphs are singing about God's holiness, and he's absolutely terrified. And then one of the seraphs takes some tongs and grabs a coal out of the burning uh, altar where they were burning either incense or animals. I'm not sure what they were burning. But he takes the tong and he pulls that coal out of the fire and he brings it over to Isaiah and he touches Isaiah's lips with the burning hot coal and sears his lips. And the angel says, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Hold it a sec. When you touch a dead item, a dead body, or you touch a, something that is sick, sin, you, get, you become unclean by touching the dirty thing. But here, the coal doesn't become unclean because it touches Isaiah's lips. It's the other way around. The coal makes Isaiah clean and pure and his sin is atoned for. This is backwards from everything we read in Leviticus and everything that Moses wrote. There's something weird going on. This is a a reversal. What is happening? And and then there's this other prophet. He sees Ezekiel. And he sees this vision. He has a vision too. And he sees a vision of the temple. And out of the temple is this little trickle of water. And then it becomes kind of a stream. It's about ankle deep. And then he follows it down the stream. And then it becomes knee deep. And then it becomes waist deep. And then the stream becomes a mighty river. And he has to swim to go in it. And it's flowing out from the temple of God. And it's filling the whole earth. And everything around it is growing. There's beautiful trees growing. And it hits the Dead Sea. And it turns the Dead Sea into a living sea. And everything comes to life. And it's absolutely beautiful. And he sees this vision. What does it mean? Well, nobody knows what it means until Jesus Christ shows up. And Jesus called himself the exact representation of the holy God. He was God. And all of a sudden, this whole thing starts to make sense when you start to see what Jesus does. There's a leper. He's walking down the street and he's saying, leprosy, leprosy, unclean, unclean. And what do people do? Oh, they back away. First of all, they don't want to touch him because they might get leprosy. Secondly, they don't want to become impure. What does Jesus do? Walks right up to the guy, puts his hand on his head. Oh, Jesus, you're going to become impure. No, 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 no. Other way around. The man becomes pure and is cured of his leprosy. A couple days later, same thing happens. There's this woman. She goes, if I could just touch Jesus. And she walks up. She's been bleeding. She's had her period nonstop for years and years and years. And she goes, if I could just touch Jesus, I'll be clean. Remember? She's impure. These are people that are the very description of impurity. And she touches Jesus. And instead of Jesus becoming impure, she becomes pure and healed. And then there's the demoniac. Same thing. Jesus 
touches them, and the demons flee into the pigs. And then there's the, the, the woman, who, the young lady who died. And Jesus, what does he do? He goes to the dead woman. Remember what happens when you touch a dead person? You become impure, right? No, Jesus touches the dead person, they come back to life. I love this Jesus guy, don't you? Like, it's amazing. He switched the whole thing around. Suddenly, the presence of God brings life. The holiness of God is being transferred to other things. Instead of the, the wickedness and the, the impurity being transferred to Jesus, Jesus transfers the power of God. And the holiness of God is transferred to the other people and other things. This is a reversal. It's amazing. And it's what it's all about. Um, oh, where am I? <laughs> got, got excited there. <laughs> and then in, in chapter 2, Peter says, You are being built. You also are like living stones being built into the temple for the Spirit. Do you get that? You see, Jesus comes along and he says, it's no more about the temple. Remember Ezekiel? He's got the the water flowing out of the temple. And Jesus says, now you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell in you. And you are going to become holy by the power of God living in you. And you will have holiness. And you will exude holiness. And that you will become a river of light. And this whole Ezekiel concept starts becoming understandable now god god's holy temple is you and you and you and you're god's holy temple and you and you and you and you're all god's holy temple and you've become this huge river flowing out from god and you're reaching the whole world with this powerful amazing news that you can be holy and jesus said we are like water whoever believes in me streams of living water will flow from within him Isn't that awesome? We have become the holiness of God in bodily form, going out into the world and making a difference. Can you see now why not holiness is not only possible, but it's a it's a goal that we have to have. It's a high bar, it's a high calling, it's who God has called us to be, because it's part of his plan for the salvation of the world. It's to send out his holiness into the world so that we can make other people holy, not by touching them, but by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, how they too can be holy and meet with the Father, meet with God. It's an awesome thing. Um, so Peter, in writing this in chapter 1 of, of 1 Peter, he talks about uh, this salvation that, that the prophets wrote about, but they didn't really understand. They didn't understand what they were writing. They talked about the suffering of the, the Savior. They knew they were writing this for someone off into the future. This is in, in verses uh, 8 and 10, and somewhere around there. Uh, 10 to 12, I believe. And, uh, and, 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 you know, they wrote about it, but they didn't really understand it. And then he, it's, he says, even angels long, in, long to look into it. But guess what? We have understood it. We have the, the scriptures. But you know what? This holiness that God gives us, that he touches us and makes us holy, it's a cooperative effort. You see, it doesn't just start the moment you get born. Well, it does start the moment you get born again. And God's spirit comes and dwells in you. And you become a holy temple for God to dwell in. But then, after that, it's cooperative. 
God says, well, I made you holy, so start acting the way you are. Start being holy like me. And that's what 1 Peter is all about. And 1 Peter talks about the salvation that comes from God, first of all. Um, Jesus really did this part by dying on the cross for us, right? That's the part we couldn't do. And he transferred his holiness to us, and he took our sin and paid its penalty. It was the great exchange. What an awesome thing. But then there's the second part. And so in verse 13, and and I'm going to go quickly at this point. Uh, In verse 13, we, we see he starts to talk about how you can get to this holiness. He's going to get to holiness, but he's starting with, so therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Action. Be self-controlled. Now, these words, um, prepare, prepare your minds. This is actually not what the Greek says. The Greek says, uh, anadzononi. Anadzononi. Which means, gird up your loins. And, and, oh, and the next word is... Uh, Anyways, these words literally mean hike up your skirt and get ready, get your mind ready for action. This is a, this is an action word where you're at, your your mind is told get in gear so that you can be holy, focus so you can be holy. This is the, this is paramount for our part. We need to get ready for action. Holiness is not a not a passive thing. We often think of holiness as not committing immorality, not looking at pornography, not uh, cheating, not stealing. It's all a bunch of knots. But First Peter, Peter says, no, it's about action. It's about being loving. It's about being kind. It's about being. It's about doing things. And so he says, prepare your mind for being holy. Well, how do you do that? Well. You study the Word of God. Um, in uh, in, in uh, Romans, Paul says, um, "Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So this starts with the mind. When we need to renew our mind, we need to transform our mind. We need to prepare our mind to be holy. How have you prepared your mind to be holy? You know, when you read your Bible first thing in the morning, that's a great start preparing your mind to be holy. When you ask God, God, help me not to, you know, whatever your your sin might be. Help me not to swear today. Help me not to lust after a woman today. Help me not to do this. Help me, you know, to do, do loving deeds. This is a great way to prepare your mind. You're focused on, God, help me do this thing I need to do. And so let's not consider holiness as a passive thing, but as an active thing. And Peter says, you need to do your part. Jesus has done his part to make you holy. Now you need to do your part. And preparing your mind is a big chunk of that. Um, Get ready to kill off the evil desires. Now the next... Part of this is saying, uh, next slide, please. Uh, Be self-controlled. In in other translations, it it says be sober. So this is is of the mind, this idea that that you're methodical and you're plotting and you're you're controlled. Okay, I'm going to think this way and I'm going to think this way and I'm going to think that way. 
Is that how you start your day? I encourage you to do that. Start your day with this process of thinking how you're going to behave today. You know the temptations that are coming your way. You know that there's going to be those people at the office who mock you, who ridicule you. There's those people who are are going to belittle you because they want your position and they want to make you smaller. So how are you going to react? Are you going to react like Christ? Or are you going to react like Bill Butner, if you know? (laughs) That nasty guy he is. Well, how are you going to react? And then, and then he kind of pushes this. And he says, um, set your hope fully on the grace given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. You see, Christ is coming back. And so we need to set our hope on the, on the future. Don't worry about the promotion right now. Worry about what Christ is going to think of you when he gets back. Because the next verse, uh, next slide, uh, he, he's talking about... Um, Next slide, have a heavenly perspective. And then he's talking about the judge. Because he says that the judge is there, and he judges impartially. So don't forget, yes, you've been made holy, but there's also a judge. So if you just go, oh yeah, I, I got my holiness in the bank. Jesus paid for my holiness. It's all done. I can go live like the devil. Uh, no, there's, there's, still, there's still the righteous judge to stand before. It doesn't work that way. And then he goes on. Uh, Notice the last part of this verse. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Have you ever felt like a foreigner? You know, as Christians, we should feel like foreigners. Uh, How many of you are foreigners to Canada? You weren't born here. Okay, a couple of you. Does it feel a little bit odd sometimes? Do you feel like a little bit like you don't always fit in? I don't know, you guys are all pretty Canadian. But, <laughs> but I can imagine, especially when you first come, you feel a little out of place. This is, they do things differently here. They eat weird food. The favorite food is McDonald's. I mean, come on, you know, like, this is weird people. And, and, and they don't mind the cold. Like, they go out in the cold and do snowmobiling and downhill skiing. Are these people nuts? You know? And, and then in the summer, it's blazing hot, and they just go out and you know, take most of their clothes off and get a tan. It's very strange people. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah, I see at least one person going, yeah, yeah, I get you. <laughs> Weird people here. <laughs> yeah, but, but Peter says, that's the way you are. We're all foreigners. We don't belong here. This is not our home. Our home's in heaven. And we're strangers here, Peter says. In fact, three times in, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says it. Chapter 1, verse uh, 17, he says it. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, you're foreigners and strangers. So live that way. Get used to it. You're different than other people. You're holy. You're set apart. You're different than other people. When, when they give you the wrong change back at the supermarket, you give the money back. That's what you do because you're holy. When, when you fill out your income tax form, you speak the truth because you're holy. When, when someone gives you a, a bill and decides, oh, just pay me in cash so, so that you don't have to pay the, the tax, you say, no, no, no. You know, we owe some to, to uh, the government. Give me out a bill. I'll pay that. Oh, and here's a tough one for me. Why, why, Lord, did you have to remind me of that right now? When the speed limit sign says, Oh, Lord, God have mercy. We act differently. We are different people. 
most of the time. Oh, God works in us right in the middle of our sermons, don't he? Uh, we're strangers. We're unusual. People think it's odd that you don't participate in their dissipation. They think it odd when you don't swear like they do, when you don't cheat like they do, when you don't carouse like they do. They think, what is wrong with you? Ah, then you know you're bringing the holiness of God into their life. And that holiness is available for them to participate in. They can participate at that temple called you. When you share the gospel with them, you become the temple of God from which holiness is pouring forth. It's an amazing thing. Okay, a couple more things. There's seven in all. Uh, I think we're at number four. Yes, uh, number six, or number five was you don't fit in. And then number six, remember the price. In, in verse 19, he says, um, let me just read that whole passage. Uh, Live as strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I love that. A lamb without blemish or defect. None of those impurities ever rubbed off on Jesus. All the people he touched, all the demoniacs, all those people never rubbed off on him. He was still pure and unblemished. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed at these last times for your sake. It was his precious... There is nothing in this world that helps me be pure more than thinking that Jesus Christ died to make me pure. He shed his blood. When I think of that, it humiliates me, and yeah, I just have to change. And now the seventh thing. And for this we go a little into chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, remember that's what I talked about, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So that's making it pretty clear. He's still talking about holiness. But listen to this. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Praise God. We are the holiness of God being sent into the world. Now, I don't have time to go into all, all the whole chapter, but the next slide has, has a list of things that, that Peter kind of points out. These are things that, that, you know, when you're working on your holiness, work on these things. Obey the truth. Love one another deeply. Do you ever have trouble loving someone? Do step number two. Think about how you're going to love them. You know, and then do that thing. Rid yourself of malice. That's, you know, and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These are things that the world does. I constantly hear about people uh, in office situations where they're being slandered by other people in the office. Keep being slandered. Why? Because people want their job. And they want them to look bad 
to the senior uh, executives. And so slander happens. Envy, people want the better job. All these things. Peter says, not part of your life. Abstain from sinful desires. Live such good lives. Peter is so practical. He just puts it right on the line. So what do you struggle with when it comes to holiness? I want to back up to our list. Let's go to the next one. Make sure you're saved, first of all. That's, you can't attain this without it. But then this prepare your mind for action. I want to just focus on that for just the last moment of the message this morning. I'm, I'm building a cottage. I've taken four weeks off this month uh, to frame a cottage. Now, before I go to frame the cottage, I have to do some, some things. I have to think about what am I going to build tomorrow? And, okay, so I'm going to build this wall and that wall and that wall. And so I need, you know, and i got to count it up. I need so many two-by-sixes for the studs, and I need so many two-by-sixes for the plates, and I need so many two-by-twelves for the, or two-by-tens for the, uh, the lintels, and I need a box of nails and I need my compressor and I need my, my nail gun and I need this and I need that and I need to bring my tool belt and this and that and I go through the whole process of what I'm going to do tomorrow today so I can go to the lumberyard buy all the stuff, load it on my trailer and take it out there and then go build it this is what he's talking about prepare your mind for action you wouldn't believe it when, when I first did construction I would leave my house and then five seconds later, I'd come back to pick up something I forgot. And then I'd leave again, and I'd come back because I forgot something else. And I kept doing that. So now, I write it all down on my phone. You know, I, I prepare my mind for the next day, and I think of all the stuff I need, and I write it down, and I write it down, and I write it down. And I keep doing that, and then I go buy all this stuff, and I do all this stuff. And so, uh, that's the way we need to prepare for holiness okay you got to think of the temptations that are going to come your way and then what are you going to do about it is your temptation pornography well go and sign up for a porn blocker on your computer and on your phone and on your tablet and on everyone else's tablet in your house I mean, this is what preparing your mind for action is about. Do you have trouble with, with swearing? Get yourself a jar and say, Dear, this is for your money. For, this is money for, for uh, whatever you like. And every time I swear, I'm going to put five bucks in here. Make it painful. And then you'll start to see it will change. So you start doing practical. You prepare your minds for action. You don't just sit around and go like, oh, I'm going to be trying to be holy today. I don't go to work and go, oh, I'm going to try to build a cabin today without any thought of how I'm going to do it or what supplies I need or what tools I need. I don't do that because it's foolishness. And it's the same way with being holy. We need to prepare our minds for actions. Make a list. Check it twice. Get it done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you that you have made us your temple, that you have imputed righteousness to us and made us holy. Lord, we are so thrilled about this. But Lord, help us to participate in that holiness. 
Help us to have sober minds thinking about how we can achieve this, how we can reflect the glory of Christ, how we can be the holiness to our neighbors, uh, the, holy, the temple of God to the people around us. Lord, help us to be a stream of living water, meaning the Spirit flowing out from us. Lord, help us to be this new kind of people. For we are yours, and we are made holy by you. Therefore, Lord, help us to be who we are. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.